what is good everybody man let me know in the chat if y'all can hear me <clears throat> it was a exciting weekend to say the least of just college and fcs football men at, at all levels um and man we got we got to talk about it all we, we're going to talk we're going to talk some coaching rumors today not probably the coach you're thinking i'm talking about but we're going to talk some fcs coaching rumors outside of jackson mississippi and we're also going to we're going we're going to talk to Bayou Classic, the Turkey Day Classic, all the action in the first round of the FCS playoffs. And then I was doing some research for my All American, my All Conference, um, just postseason awards that I'm going to release on the website. And I, I found like a really uh, someone who's not I don't think is being talked about enough for SWAC Defensive Player of the Year. We've heard the cases for Aubrey Miller. We've heard the cases for Ronnie Thomas, but I, I was kind of breaking down, doing some comparisons on impacts, stats, performance on the field, things like that. And I think there's a favorite that nobody is really giving any credence to possibly winning that award when the SWAC announced their awards. It should be this week. It might be next week, but the SWAC's the only conference not to release their postseason awards as of right now. Um, if, if I'm not mistaken, so I, I think everyone's on the edge of their seat for when they released that. When he said, I, I voted for Furman, but the most impressive win this week was Palm Bluff. <laughs> man, we're going to get into that. I, I can't believe Palm Bluff pulled it off like that. Uh, man, pre appreciate you, Imperial. Uh, let's see. Seema Montana was crazy, man. If, if, you, if you stayed up um, for that. If you stayed up for that game, you were impressed. Uh, you've got to say, and the funny thing, too, before I get to me at Mike's comment, the funny thing is all the teams that people were saying didn't deserve to be in the playoffs had double-digit wins in the first round. Um, I just wanted to throw, I just wanted to throw that out there that everybody who said all these teams everyone said was overrated and shouldn't get in. Went on and won their first round matchups by double digits. Uh, Gardner Webb's a dark horse, and no one wants to run into. Gardner Webb's an interesting case. Um, uh, they're in a really, really difficult region of the bracket. I feel like Miak Mike, so I I question their longevity. But if they can get to the quarterfinals after this is their first ever, this was their first ever time winning an FCS playoff game. That's a that's a huge um, that's that's a huge accomplishment. I feel like. Uh, let's see. Let's stick to FCS today. No Turkey Day and Bayou Classic. <laughs> nah, man. We're, we're, we got we to gotta talk about that. They, he said they were just hurt. <laughs> the feelings were hurt, Isaiah. I feel that Montana looked locked in. In the second half, uh, in, the, in the second half, Jay, the, the first half, they did not look locked in. Grambling running backs averaged um, 10 yards per carry combined. We're going to get into all this, man. But first, a little bit of uh, a little bit of rumor mill going on here. The Tulsa job became open today, and there are a lot of rumblings in the coaching community that G.J. Kinney might be the, might be number one on their list of coaches they're looking to bring in for that opening at Tulsa. Now, if you don't know, G.J. Kinney was a Tulsa quarterback from 08 to 2010. He transferred in from UTSA, if I'm not mistaken. He threw for over 6,300 yards, 53 touchdowns in his career, was the CUSA Offensive Player of the Year, his final year there in 2010. 
and is also top three in school history at Tulsa in total offensive yards for a career. Uh, so his ties to Tulsa, his history at Tulsa makes him almost a logical fit there. And when you look at his coaching history, he's still an extremely young guy. He started out his career in 2017 after playing some time in the NFL and I believe the CFL. He was a grad assistant at SMU for a year, Arkansas analyst, Eagles special projects offensive coach in 2019, was the Hawaii OC and QB coach in 2020, coached one year at the offensive coordinator spot at UCF under Gus Malzahn in 2021, and now he's the Incarnate Word head coach, led Incarnate Word to a 10-1 record, had an FBS win this year, and is everyone talked about in the chat, and every, everyone in the chat knows about this, what he did with Lindsey Scott cannot be under, I, I would say undermined or, or overlooked in any, any coaching search because you saw what he could do by getting certain guys in the transfer portal and what they could do in his system and, and things like that. So I think GJ Kenny to Tulsa makes sense. And if you look at his, his career, it's a very, very quick, trajectory to the top he started out as a grad assistant in 2017 and went all the way up to a head coach at the fcs level by 2022 and has never stayed in one place more than a year now for me covering fcs i'm, I'm a huge fan of gj kinney and i would love to see what he could build an incarnate word but if you get an offer and with, with a lot of money a lot of uh, way better facilities and resources than what an incarnate work could offer you i don't blame him for potentially taking this job and I think G.J. Kennedy is going to get an extremely strong look. And there's a lot of people who think that is a no-brainer that he's going to take this job. Now, I, I don't have any – I haven't talked to Kenny off the record or anything like that. So this is just people talking about that he is just the fit for the job. So I want to throw this out there, see what y'all thought, kind of let y'all know the latest, that G.J. Kenny could be the next FCS coach to make that jump to group of five. Now, Brent Vegan. Troy Taylor, head coaches in Montana State and Sac State, respectively, have also been linked to some group of five openings. While, of course, we all know the Deion Sanders rumors to Colorado that have emerged with that offer that I talked about last, last live stream. But I wanted to bring this to y'all's attention, kind of give you guys the latest news on this. And also, for all my SWAC listeners, my Jackson State listeners, let y'all know that Coach Prime is not the only coach from the FCS that is getting targeted, getting contacted, that this happens if you're a really good FCS coach. And G.J. Kinney is on that short list, <clears throat> potentially for this Tulsa opening. But let's get to the FCS playoffs real quick before we get to our HBC recap. Take live calls and comments after that. Man, Weber State, they jumped on North Dakota early in this one and North Dakota had to kind of stage a bit of a comeback. Weber state scored 24 unanswered points to start this game behind that rushing attack that really exploded onto the scene this weekend. And they jumped out to even a 31 seven lead late in the first half. North Dakota made a fourth quarter comeback 14 0 that fourth quarter, but the Weber state defense, I've talked about it all year when they need to make a stop, they made a big stop to end the game, and they kept North Dakota out of the end zone. And I, I thought Weber State showed a lot of promise early where they they were just able to be more physical at the point of attack on both sides of the football compared to North Dakota. The one thing I do worry about, it started to snow midway through the game, 
And it just seemed like Weaver came out in the second half without a lot of energy. And that kind of, that, that kind of worried me a bit. Um, Tommy Schuster for North Dakota had an amazing game, 184, three touchdowns through the air. You know, Bronson Barron didn't have a great game at quarterback, but when you can run the football, like Weaver State was running the football, you're going to be a tough team to beat. They ran for 330 on the ground, averaged over five and a half yards per carry, and rushed for four touchdowns this weekend. The Wildcats did on the offensive side of the football. They have to be more disciplined in the second half moving forward. But this was a big this was a big round one win. A lot of people thought North Dakota could offer Weber State some issues. The one question I have though, because I don't think their rushing attack is as is as dynamic as like Montana State or Sac State. The one question I do have for Weber is if the rushing attack gets slowed, can Bron- can, can can Bronson go win you a football game? And, and that's a major, major question mark after his performance this weekend where he was five for 11, had a big touchdown, but was sacked twice. Can they can they add that extra dimension? Because we know what Tom McPherson can be at the wide receiver spot. But this was a big win for Weber State, too. I put this in the article I dropped today. Weber State reaches the 10 win mark for only the sixth time in program history. Jay Hill's done an excellent job for the Wildcats. Weber State, though, moving forward, they travel to face Montana State in Bozeman, Montana next next weekend, 2 p.m. Central in the second round. If you don't remember, Montana State beat Weber 43-38 in a, in a Week 8 matchup in which Weber State's long snapper cost them eight points with, um, with, with bad snaps, I guess you could call it. And it's going to be very, very interesting if they can bounce back this year uh, or, or this time w- with a big playoff win. So Weber State, Montana State's easily the game of the week next round of the playoffs, in my opinion, but a big win for Weber State this weekend over North Dakota. Now, Gardner-Webb qu- silences the doubters, man. I I didn't give them a chance. I don't think a lot of people in the chat gave them a chance. Gardner-Webb goes out in their first playoff appearance and puts on an absolute show, 52-41, win over the A-Sun champs in Eastern Kentucky. And this one was this one was surprising, especially because Eastern Kentucky's defense coming into the season, coming into the playoffs, could potentially be a strength. You've got Matthew Jackson. You have a big LSU transfer on the defensive line. Your secondary has some has some playmakers and they weren't able to make a single stop against Gardner Webb this weekend. Uh, they they hardly passed the ball. 20 attempts for 118 for Bailey Fisher but it was another case. We see this every year. Anyone who's an FCS fan on this stream knows that running the football is the most important thing. And Gardner Webb puts 405 and six touchdowns on Eastern Kentucky's defense. Nari Gaither goes for 245, two touchdowns, and averages almost nine yards per carry. And Bailey Fisher rushes for three touchdowns from his quarterback spot and averaged over 12 yards per carry. And that doesn't even include Jaden Brown and mop-up duty, putting up over six yards per carry in a, in a big touchdown. Anytime you allow a team to run for 405 and six touchdowns, you have no shot. Now, Eastern Kentucky also did a terrible job of establishing the line of scrimmage um, in, in, in this one. Braden Sloan, Joshua Carter got nothing going on the ground. I thought Ty French in this front seven for Gardner-Webb played an excellent game. They held Eastern Kentucky to less than two yards per carry, only 44 yards on the ground. Gardner-Webb put on an absolute 
clinic this weekend offensively. I'm very interested to see how they match up next weekend. They get William and Mary, a team that has an extremely strong front seven. We know what Nate Lynn, John Pius, this William and Mary team can do to run games. If Gardner Webb's able to establish to Roman Nari Gaither, they're going to be a tough team to, to get out of this tournament. Ty French, seven total tackles, one and a half sacks this weekend. Jamari Brown had a big game with a big interception in the red zone against Parker McKinney that, that ended any chance that the Colonels can, can come back in this one. This, this game, for me, Trey Lamb proved how good of a coach he was. At, they were 6-5 and five this year. I get that. But I want to walk you all through the schedule of how, coming into this game, they were 6-5. and five. Gardner-Webb's first loss was to Coastal Carolina on the road by four. I repeat, Coastal Carolina, who is one of the top group of five teams in the country, they lost to Coastal Carolina on the road by four. They lost a one-score game the next week to Elon, who is in the playoffs and, and, and was one of the is one of the top five CAA teams this season. They lost a big game to Mercer. I get that. And they lost to Marshall. And they lost a one-point game to Liberty. They lost... A major over half of their games to group of five FBS teams. To me, I, I think the six and five record really fooled a lot of people into thinking that this team was not was not good when they had one of the more brutal schedules in the country. But I, I agree, Sonic Boom. It just got it got away with for Eastern Kentucky. They got they got it to 31-27. At, at, at one point, and then after that, things just got completely out of hand for them. Gardner-Webb goes down. Bailey Fisher hits TJ Luther, puts them up 38-27. to 27. Then they come back in five minutes. Bailey Fisher goes for a 12-yard touchdown run, 45-27. And then Bailey Fisher hits them with another 20-yard run. It's 52-27 when literally less than 10 minutes of game time ago, it, 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 was, a, it was like a five-point game. And that's, that's what good teams do, man. Gardner-Webb can take the air out of a game and completely flip the momentum. And that's what they did this weekend against Eastern Kentucky. It was a huge, huge win for Gardner-Webb. That will be an interesting game. GW will be a tough out, play the tough out of conference schedule. Definitely agree. Yeah, they listen, Parker McKinney's no scrub either. Parker McKinney did throw five touchdowns, but that's probably a top five quarterback in the FCS. So I, I don't want to say Gardner-Webb secondary made the plays when they needed to, T, but I, I think they went up against a really good quarterback, and they're not going to see that type of quarterback this weekend for William & Mary. It's going to be who can run the football in that matchup because neither quarterback is going to light the world on fire in terms of throwing the football down the field. So that's going to be a extremely interesting, um, I would say, line of scrimmage battle and who can establish their will on the other team in that matchup. Um, I think this is going to be a good playoffs because you have so many sound teams. Um, you don't know who has the upper hand. William and Mary, Richmond, Gardner, Webb, and Delaware. I think Delaware is back. They played really well, man. They didn't They didn't have a huge test this weekend, but I, I'm, I'm interested to see how Delaware looks this weekend against, um, uh, against South Dakota State. But let's see. I'm cheering for New Hampshire. If JSU beats NCCU, that will help JSU's narrative moving forward. That's fair. I'm, I'm, I'm for that. But let's get to Delaware real quick. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time on this game. I think a lot of people saw Delaware pulling this one out over St. Francis in the um, it, it, from the, from the NEC. It just Nolan Henderson is just that guy. 
when he when Nolan Henderson is on Delaware is a terrifying team to be matched up with as he threw four touchdowns this weekend had another one rushing and then on top of that Delaware's issue this season has has been being balanced so when Nolan Henderson is on they can't run the football when you look at that go back and look at that Elon game Elon forced them to be one-dimensional and then enforce Nolan Henderson into some big mistakes. When Nolan Henderson could go 16 for 23 for four touchdowns, it's going to be extremely tough to stop this team from rolling, especially when you got Kyron Cumby averaging 11 yards per carry, rushing for 111 yards this weekend, and Marcus Yarns going for nine yards a carry in terms of a backup running back. Delaware got anything they wanted offensively, and they also forced St. Francis into some really, really uncomfortable situations. Cole Doyle goes out of this game after going seven for 20. Now, Justin, uh, I believe it's Sawalski, comes in and replaces Cole Doyle, throws two big touchdowns in it, but that was late in the game when Delaware really had their starters out of this one. And everyone knows defensively what Delaware can do in terms of Johnny Buchanan leading that team in tackles. I don't think that shocks anyone, but they held St. Francis, who is one of the top offensive teams in the NEC, to less than 260 yards. Buchanan had 15 total touchdowns, I mean, tackles, 15 total tackles, my bad, not touchdowns. And then Brandon Dennis had a huge forced fumble touchdown late in that game to really put this out of reach. Now, Delaware, I think, had the second easiest matchup this weekend against St. Francis. We're going to go into Richmond, who got to play Davidson in the from the Pioneer League, a non-scholarship league. I'm interested to see how Delaware, if this game kind of puts some confidence in that program, where they're going to be able to go up there and travel and face South Dakota State and give them a competitive game. Now, the one issue I do have with this one is I think South Dakota State is going to be able to play them similarly to how Elon did, where they're going to load the box, they're going to put this game on Nolan Henderson, and they're just going to trust their defensive backs to go make plays and get pressure on Nolan Henderson and force them into some uncomfortable situations. While on the other side, running the football efficiently and and really wearing down that defense, similar to exactly how Elon played Delaware earlier in the season. But speaking about Elon, they got that that they just got handled by Furman. If you watch this game, I don't know if anyone in the chat watched this game this weekend. There should be no question that in terms of offensive line and front seven, Furman's a quarterfinal team easily. They absolutely dominated the line of scrimmage all game long. If you're a if you're a defensive lineman in the chat or a fan of defensive line play and you're like me and you love great offensive line play, this is the game you have to go watch from this weekend. Furman put on an absolute clinic this weekend in terms of controlling the line of scrimmage. They sacked Matthew McKay four times this weekend, held him to 50% completion percentage because he could not get comfortable in the pocket at all, and and, and held Elon to 2.8 yards per carry, a team that was coming in, that came into this game, being able to run the football on almost anyone. They held Jalen Hampton, a 1,000-yard rusher, to 30 yards rushing this weekend, only three yards per carry. Their leading rusher was Matthew McKay in terms of him having to get out of the pocket and scramble. It was a, it was an issue all day for Elon controlling the front seven for Furman. And on the other side of the football, Tyler Huff is just a playmaker. Got a big passing touchdown to the tight end, Ryan Miller, and also Dominic Roberto when Tyler Huff led the ground attack as Furman puts up 251 on the ground, three touchdowns. 
And they have that. I'm not comparing them exactly to them, but they have that North Dakota State style of rushing where they're not busting, you know, 80, 90 yard runs or, or being super, super explosive that way. They're going to line up in, in terms of Furman and they are going to run the football every single down for four to six yards. And it's going to be the most frustrating thing that you have ever seen in your life. And you're going to be sick if you're a fan of the other team because it's going it's it's going to be a slow, painful death of a thousand runs. They ran the football 46 times this weekend and averaged five and a half yards per carry. And it's going to be Dominic Roberto most of the time, but then Tyler Huff's going to going to hit you for a, going to bust one for a twenty yard run outside the pocket. Kendall Thomas is going to come in, give you some work. They they just have. A, a one of the more efficient rushing attacks in the country this year. And then as soon as you load the box, they're going to go up top and they're going to hit Ryan Miller, who had nine catches and a big touchdown this week, who's, pro- in my opinion, one of the better tight ends in the country this year. And that they could still stretch it deep like they did against Mercer with Kendall, with, with Kendall Dean and Joshua Harris. I think Furman is built for a real playoff run, and I think this weekend they left no doubt that they're probably one of the more complete teams that played this weekend in the first round. Bryce McCormick and uh, Braden Gilby had big games, and Xavier Stevens led the team with two-and-a-half sacks and two-and-a-half tackles for loss. But going to the other side of the bracket here, the game I was at, um, I do want to say, and because I know that there was two people who DM'd me about this, you guys aren't going to get any highlights from me from this game. I was at the game. I, I'll, I'll be releasing pictures but due to ESPN's exclusive contract with the FCS playoffs, I'm not personally allowed to release any video footage or clips from the game, or I could be sued and also kind of banned from all NCAA playoff events. So I love the access I've been able to build, the platform I've been able to build. You guys won't be getting any highlights from me because it's literally for a legal issue. I cannot show highlights from the game. Even if I'm the one recording, or whatever angle it may be, I cannot release clips. The only people who can release clips of games are ESPN, the FCS football official accounts or website, and or the school accounts um, that that have to be verified. And they have like an, another like a side deal with ESPN and all these other people to release film. So y'all won't find any highlights for me, but I will be releasing pictures probably tomorrow or Tuesday. But this game, I got to I got to go to southeastern Louisiana more. Every game I go to is a just just such an intense ending. I I went once, saw the Hail Mary a Hail Mary win over Incarnate Word. This weekend, Idaho misses two field goals. Two straight field goals to lose this game. So South, so Idaho drives down to the field. They get a 39-yard attempt. They they take the first one. He misses it, but Southeastern Louisiana called a timeout right before. Goes out there the second time to try it. He slips and hooks it at this at hooks it hooks it right again. So two straight missed field goals. It ended Idaho's overtime chances in this one. <clears throat> and this <clears throat> excuse me. Um Cephas Johnson deserves an MVP for this one. If you guys don't remember, I talked about on the show, on the preview show, Cephas Johnson's had to split a lot of his time with Eli Sawyer. Now, Cephas Johnson from Mobile was a South Alabama transfer, waited his time behind Cole Kelly, and this year he's kind of been a 50-50 guy 
in that system. And Cephas Johnson got his opportunity due to an injury to Eli Sawyer. He puts up 200 yards passing and also had two big rushing touchdowns where they could not tackle him. He was doing his best Cam Newton impression, hurdling players, breaking breaking a bunch of tackles. I mean, he – he had his best game probably in the southeastern Louisiana. Um, it he, that's probably his best game of his college career. I'll, I'll go that far. He put on an absolute performance. Jesse Britt, in terms of running the football, did a hell of a job. Um, just establishing the run, averaged eight yards per carry. I never thought I'd say this because th- there's this narrative going around that the Big Sky teams are more physical. Than Southland, SLU was the was by far more physical than Idaho all game long. They consistently established drives, drove right down the field, and did what they wanted in terms in, in terms of offensively. A lot of Idaho's plays came on those big quote quote what people would consider Southland plays, where you got where you throw it up to someone and they go make a play. And they also had they also had a kick return that really changed the changed the way this game was going, but. Hayden Hatton and Jermaine Jackson are playmakers for Idaho. Uh, I know Giovanni McCoy is still a true, uh, still a redshirt freshman. He's going to develop just fine. He he had two big mistakes. He threw an end zone pick to Donnell Warren McGee, and then also tell me where y'all have heard this name. I've been hyping this kid up for two seasons now. Zai Alexander takes a pick six back. They finally tested him, and Zai Alexander made him pay. Returned with a big, uh, with, with a bit with a big pick six late in that third quarter. But Hayden Hatton goes goes for two oh nine in the touchdown. You know they moved him from tight end to wide receiver, and the kid just he doesn't even look like he's super athletic, but he just consistently finds his way open. It's it's all. It, He's not like he's not this type of player, but it's just I don't understand how he consistently gets open like that. He is just he is just always in the right spot, and Giovanni McCoy just puts the ball on him and he goes and makes the play. And I, I agree, Walt. They're they're not the measuring stick, but it, it it was really nice to see the Southland kind of represent in that way. But I thought Southeastern did a great job defensively of getting pressure on Giovanni McCoy, showing a lot of different coverages, and also when he made a mistake, they made them pay. And if it wasn't for the uh, – if y'all watched the press conference, SLU was consistently kicking away from Jermaine Jackson. They were kicking it the opposite sides of the field. They, they were ready to kick it out of bounds. Idaho was smart, so they lined Jermaine Jackson up over here, and right before as the kicker was coming, they switched the returners on where they were going. So as SLU was kicking away from Jermaine Jackson – he switched sides without the kicker noticing, and they kicked it right to him. And the one opportunity he had, he took it 95 yards for, for, for return, and that was right at the beginning of the fourth quarter, about 14 minutes left in the game. And that's when Southeastern would just went up 31-21 with a 25-yard Cephas Johnson run. It was a hell of a play call or, or just a decision by Idaho to try to fool the kicker. And, and after that kick, man, I – Southeastern was ready to kick it completely out of bounds and just let them start wherever. Um, so it, it, it was both teams played excellent, man, but I thought SLU was the better team on Saturday night. I really did. And if it went for 
of the kickoff return and that last explosive play where Giovanni McCoy and Jermaine Jackson hooked up for that 70-yard deep ball, SLU could have pulled away in this one. So I was really, really impressed with SLU. I wasn't sure how they were going to match up against the Vandals, but they were just as physical. They they established a rushing attack. And if Cephas Johnson plays like he did this weekend, SLU has a chance to get to the quarterfinals of, of the playoffs this year. And I think Sanford is going to be put to the test, especially if S- if SLU can run the football like they did this weekend. It was a huge performance, man, a great crowd. It was raining all day long, stopped right before uh, right before kickoff, man. So shout out to everyone from SLU who hooked me up this weekend, and I'm looking forward to make it back down to Hammond uh, next season. But the game that I know a lot of people want to talk about, if you're a FAMU fan or you're an Austin P fan, cup your ears. I know this is the quote-unquote, most hated team in FCS football right now. Montana, with arguably the comeback of the playoffs this weekend. I don't know how they did it. I, I was I was listening to this game in my car on the way back from Hammond. I don't know how I don't I don't know how they did it still. SEMO was dominating. If you go if you go watch the first part of this game, you would think SEMO won this game by as many as they wanted. They come, they come out of halftime, SEMO does, with a 17-3 lead and drive right down the field. And it's 24-3 guys in the third quarter. SEMO is rolling. And the Grizz in the game scoring 31 unanswered points to get the victory this weekend. And it all started with special teams, man. Montana, Malik Flowers takes an 80-yard kickoff return in the third quarter, and then right at the end of the third quarter, Junior Bergen takes a 58-yard punt return, and it and it completely flipped the game, and they tied it up on that Junior Bergen punt return, and that was the complete difference in the game. Now, Robbie Hawk became the all-time leading tackler in Big Sky Conference history. He had 15 tackles this weekend. As much as... As great as Simo played, I'll give him a shout-out real quick. Gino Hess did his thing. I've said consistently, I think Gino Hess is probably the best running back in the FCS. 122, two touchdowns, averaged four yards per carry against the Grizz defense on 30 carries. He, it, He's that guy. I just want to put that out there. And I also thought Ryan Flournoy put on a big performance, 11 catches, 161. But the biggest change for me for Montana, not, not just special teams-wise – was the play of Lucas Johnson. I talked about in the preview, and I, my, some Montana fans didn't like it. I, I really do think Montana Montana goes as far as Lucas Johnson's play. And in the first half, Lucas Johnson was atrocious. Uh, he just he could not do anything right. And in the second half, he comes back and throws two big touchdowns, and he ends up with over 300 yards passing this weekend. And... I thought just his demeanor and his ability to get out of his own head in the second half and still make plays when everything was going wrong. That could have been a that could have been the corner that Montana needed and uh, moving forward. That that could have been the momentum and the moment that shifted everything. And yeah, um T, if I'm not mistaken, the only team that won on the road was Gardner Webb, if I'm not mistaken. I think that was the only that was the only road team to win out of all the first round matchups is that um was that Gardner Webb victory against Eastern Kentucky. Every other home team won. He said I didn't even watch the game after I saw the early score. 
MSU has five better running backs. I don't know about five. I I don't know about five. I do agree, Isaiah Fon, uh, Isaiah Fonte. When he get when he's healthy, he's there. But man, I don't know about five better running backs than Geno Hess on one team. Daniel, I, I will give you Isaiah Fonte, but not going to not going to give you five better running backs right now. A uh, three 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 stack, especially when you are as blitz blitz happy as the Grizz, puts a lot of pressure on this uh, strong safety to fill the alley. Hey, he's he's you can say what you want about Robbie Hawk, and I know he's a player that. For some reason, some people give credit. Other people don't want to give him any credit at all. And he's a baller. He is not afraid to stick his nose in there, and he is consistently around the football. And that's all you can ask for for a defensive player. So I think he 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 did what he needed to this weekend. But special teams and Lucas Johnson's turnaround were the two biggest things for me. And defensively, you got to give the Grizz credit. They they've really turned it up in the second half in terms of making plays and forcing southeastern and forcing southeastern Missouri into some really uncomfortable situation. Braxton Hill had a big game. Patrick O'Connell did solid. Also, Garrett Graves had a big interception uh, for the Grizz defense. Next week, we'll find out. You can say what you want about Montana not not needing to be in. They played a horrible first half game, staged a 31 point comeback, and won by 10. Next week, we're going to find out all, all you want about them. If you're if you are on that hashtag I hate Montana bandwagon, they're headed to face North Dakota State next weekend in the Fargo Dome, 2:30 p.m. Central kickoff in the second round. The Bison did win the most recent matchup, but we're going to find out how good exactly the the, the the Grizz are this year. And so if, you, if you're rooting for them to lose, next weekend is your week. If they get past North Dakota State, you might want to shut your eyes because things things are going to get real, real interesting really soon. Um, New Hampshire, Fordham, this one kind of broke my – this one broke my heart, man, because this was one of the ones that um, – I'm I, this was one of the picks I missed this week. Fordham just couldn't get it done, man. I, I You could say what you want about Fordham. The offense is good enough to put up 30-plus points on anybody in the country at the FCS level. Anybody in the country at the FCS level is giving up at least 35 to them. They are on absolute fire offensively. Tim DeMore, I just want to – for anyone that hasn't seen the box score, I'm, I'm, I, won't, I won't give his stat line until y'all make y'all's predictions. Tim DeMore was held to, a, if I'm not mistaken, a season low – in yards and touchdowns this week, how many? What do y'all think he went for with his season low in yards and touchdowns this weekend against New Hampshire? I just want to—I want to throw that out there. But Max Brosmer, man, went out there and balled out as he put up three forty-eight and three touchdowns, zero interceptions was the biggest stat. Max Brosmer was that guy. Then also Dylan Lobb, I mentioned him on the preview show as being a, a key piece to this. One fifty-seven, three touchdowns, averaged over five yards per carry. He consistently made plays for his offense, and that was the biggest thing. I said Fordham is not going to have a shot if they cannot stop the rushing attack of New Hampshire, and they could not do it. The Wildcats put up 684 yards of total offense, and Lobb set the school record for with his 424-yard performance this weekend through the air and on the ground, and special teams. Dylan Lobb was everywhere. And they, to open the game, an 87-yard touchdown to Lobb in, in this one. 
it was it was a huge performance, man. Josiah Silver um, Josiah Silver put up a big game, two tackles for loss, seven total tackles, and forced a key fumble when Fordham was knocking on the door early in this game to take the seven nothing lead. New Hampshire's defense made the key plays. Fordham didn't. Fordham's defense just can't make a play. As great as the offense is, you just can't make a play. And for Tim Demoret, his career comes to an end at Fordham in the first round of the playoffs. His season low was 330 with three touchdowns. That was Tim Demoret's worst stat line of the year. But the key was Max Brosmer didn't, didn't make any turnover, didn't have any turnovers. Tim Demoret threw two crucial, crucial interceptions in this one. And, and that was the difference in the game is that Tim Demoret made two crucial mistakes. When your defense cannot stop anybody, you can't afford not to score on certain possessions. And that was the biggest difference for Fordham is that New Hampshire's defense was able to force those crucial turnovers, especially in the red zone. For New Hampshire, though, moving forward, I'm extremely interested to see if they can make a run. They get Holy Cross this weekend on the road, 11 a.m. Central kickoff, 12 p.m. Eastern time. Back-to-back Patriot League matchups. Don't don't be surprised if New Hampshire, if they can make a run to the quarterfinals, can make a little bit of waves. I think that I think that Holy Cross matchup is going to be extremely interesting, and especially matchup-wise, do not be surprised if New Hampshire is the is the dark horse team coming out of the first round with back-to-back Patriot League games. That's all I'm going to say on that one. And then we're not going to spend a lot of time on this one. Everyone in the chat, raise your hand if you thought Davidson had a shot in hell at winning this game. No, nobody, nobody in hell gave Davidson a shot. You're playing a non-scholarship league. You don't have, you just don't have the guys to go up against probably the second best team in the CAA behind William and Mary. Reese Udinsky completed 90% of his pass. I, I just I want to I want to say it again. I want to make sure everyone's listening. <laughs> when I say this, Reese Udinsky completed 90.3% of his passes. 90.3. He went 28 of 31 with two touchdowns. He almost had more touchdowns than, than total incompletions in this game. They couldn't stop a soul. Davidson is a run first team. They ran the ball 40 times for only 123 yards. Didn't find the end zone, of course. And Richmond did what they wanted on the ground too. 215, three touchdowns. The team averaged five yards per carry. And they did it with like seven different players getting a handful of carries. It, it zero. It, I'm sorry, man. The, this is what gets me about the Pioneer League teams. It's so hard for them to go and compete because they don't have the money really usually to bid for a home game. And then they get matched up with situations like this where Richmond or some CAA team is going to absolutely go in there and absolutely drag them in Paris. They, they, uh, Davidson won. Okay. Asterisk Davidson won the pioneer league, which is how they got in that the pioneer every, every conference has an auto bid Paris. So they got the auto bid because St. Thomas, who I don't know if that were, if this game may have been a little bit closer. I don't think St. Thomas has beaten Richmond, they um, they still got an auto bid because St. Thomas wasn't allowed. Davids, uh, Davidson finished second in the conference, so they got the auto bid. It's their third straight auto bid. Uh, still have never won a playoff game. So let that let, let that be. I, I still don't think non-scholarship to be should be let in. Or 
I don't, I don't know. I personally, I don't think so. Cause I, to me, Austin P fam, you Chattanooga, um, Mercer, who else I want to throw in there? Who else was on the bubble that didn't get in UC Davis, all these teams would have had a better shot of beating Richmond this weekend than Davison. That, just in my opinion, uh, it 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 it's not going to matter, man. So yeah, at A and T, <laughs> there you go. I, it, it, this was a blowout through and through. So I just wanted to, um, NEC teams don't offer full scholarships. That that's that's true too, but. They don't offer full scholarships, but they offer scholarships to Lawrence. So I'm not mistaken, right? Because there's a little bit of a difference with that. It, it that's that's what the catch twenty two is. Is that what if you have a team from a non scholarship league that's just that good one day? You never know. I mean, we saw what San, I think Lawrence you put in the chat. San Diego won a 2017 playoff game. It's a double edged sword, but it it is always going to it is always going to suck when teams who are really good and that can compete get left out and we see 41 to nothing massacres like we saw this weekend. But I there, there's really no – I don't think there's a full way to address it. Hey, man, pre- appreciate you, Devontae, for joining the membership, man. Definitely appreciate that. So let's see. Which C, which C team is most likely to fall this weekend? Hmm. Uh Matchup-wise, William, I would say prob- I, I, probably – oh, God, there's so many good ones. Um, I would I would say Holy Cross against New Hampshire would be one that I'll, I would be very skeptical of that. I, I think that one's probably a 50-50 a game. That Holy Cross-New Hampshire game could be extremely interesting – and as much as I love how good this team is, man, that Weber State-Montana State matchup is going to be one of the tougher second-round matchups. I mean, the Montana State-Weber State game, if they were on opposite sides of the bracket, easily could be a semifinal game. Easily could be a semifinal game. I still think Montana is the favorite in that one. But man, it is that that is going to be a terrifying second round game for a team like Montana that had such a great year. And then another one that I'm kind of looking at, I I know I already see someone in there that says don't say this team. I would say UIW Furman is going to be a tougher game than people are expecting. We know what the high flying offensive attack is. Um, with Lindsey Scott incarnate where they get a bye week, of course, but man, the physicality and the rushing attack that Furman is going to bring in is going to give incarnate word some problems, especially looking back at the one game that incarnate word kind of struggled in was that Southeastern Louisiana game and Furman is going to bring that same type type of attack, but on steroids. And so I think that's going to, a stylistic matchup that's going to give a team a lot of problems. It's going to be that UIW Furman game. So if I had to put if I had to rank on my top three, it would probably be Holy Cross, Incarnate Word, Montana State would be the three the um, the three games I'd be looking at with Incarnate with Incarnate Word and Holy Cross being a strong one and two. Um, 
right now for seed, for for seeds that potentially could lose this weekend. Um, the real quick, man, before I open up the call lines and and also get to y'all's comments, the HBCU games of the week. We had the Turkey Day Classic on Thursday. That happened before even my my um, my live stream for my preview live stream. But I didn't want to talk about it till the recap. I I don't I still don't know how this happened. I had to go back and watch the game because Alabama State let me down. I thought there was no chance. And if you would have and if you would have told me that Demetrius Davis would have thrown for two seventy two which he hasn't done pretty much all season long. I would have said, man, Alabama State by as many as, as many points as you want to give me. And they rush for 212. Give it to me all day. But, man, Kayvon Britton is just a different animal. Man, he is 163 touchdowns against a front seven that this season has been extremely stout. But I think what we're seeing is outside of a few key players – I don't think Alabama State's got the got the dogs <laughs> up there. Rico Dozier, 17 total tackles, three for loss, two sacks. Grand Elwell for UAPB had a big game as well. They were all over the field, and you got to give them credit. They dominated Alabama State at the point of attack off on the offensive line and defensive line, and that's something I don't think we've seen a lot of teams do to Alabama State all year. Colton Adams had a huge game. Adrian Maddox, uh, Brandon Gaddy, Jordan Nelson, or Nelson Jordan all had big games, but this was the Kayvon Britton game. They could not stop the rushing attack, and that was the difference. That was the whole difference in the game, and on, on top of that, it was the lack of efficiency in the red zone for Alabama State, too. Alabama State went one for four in red zone scoring opportunities and four for 13 on third down. I don't care who, what team you put in there, what matchup you're talking about. If one team goes one for four in the red zone and the other team puts up puts up three scores in the red zone, you don't have a shot. And so it was the lack of inefficiency in the red zone for Alabama State and losing the line of scrimmage battle to UAPB, which for me, Eddie Robinson Jr. has, has to answer that. That is, for me, inexcusable at this point of the season. And, and – I understand they weren't playing for quote unquote anything, but man, they went out there and like like Imperial said right here, they just got bullied. They were running the football straight down their throats, and Alabama State could not stop it. So I, I, I don't know what to. I, I don't know where this UAPB team came from, but you got to give them a lot of credit, man. They absolutely smoked. Alabama State this weekend. You got to give them their credit. And when it came down, when Alabama State made that little comeback, UAPD still put the final nail in the coffin. You got to give them a lot of credit, especially the whole intern staff that stepped in with, um, they they stepped in and, and kept the team focused and kept the team motivated, and they end the, and they end the season on the win. It's going to be extremely interesting to see who they potentially hire, but a big win for UAPB, man, and the Bayou Classic. I picked Southern. So I'm I'm cool with that. I, I I won I won the pick this weekend, but we get the Southern Jackson State rematch this upcoming weekend, and yeah, I don't know how y'all feel about it, but we have Boombox Part Two with Jackson for the SWAT Championship, and I thought I thought Grandma was going to pull it out here for about three and a half quarters, 
but 20 unanswered points from Southern in the fourth quarter. What's the difference? And I need answers. Maybe someone can call in and tell me. Maybe I'm missing something. Hugh Jackson and Grambling was running the football down Southern's throat all game long. Just running the football down their throat. And all of a sudden, just when Grambling had Southern where they wanted him, he said, you know what the best game plan is? We're, we're going to put it in in this this young quarterback's hands that has been extremely inefficient at throwing the football against a defense that is that excels in forcing turnovers. I I don't know. Maybe there's some coaching explanation you can give me, but when you're when you run for 201 yards and your starting running back in Floyd Chalk is putting up 15 yards per carry, 120 yards on the ground. Maurice Washington putting up eight yards per carry for 50 yards. And Chance Williams is averaging six and a half yards per carry. I need to know why your running backs did not have more than eight and six carries in this game. You let you let Julian Chavez run the football 20 times for negative eight yards. Rather than letting your three running backs who are all averaging over six and a half yards per carry just sit there as decoys, it makes me nauseous. It makes me so nauseous that you have all this talented running back and you just throw your run plays away when the game's on the line. It, I don't know. Hugh Jackson is so lucky that there's not a coaching call this week for them because the coaching call this week, just to let all y'all know is just going to be prom and, and duly for Southern for the SWAT championship because Hugh Jackson, I, it's a crime. They should have put him straight in the, in, in prison on bourbon street for what he did. How in the world do you not run the football? You have the lead too late in the game. And you don't run the football. I, someone has to make it make sense. Someone has to make it make sense. Because it's 21-17 in the fourth. You're running the football at will. You get up, you give up a big fumble recovery where Jordan Carter takes it back 48 yards. And then you put the ball in the air all of a sudden again. And you get a 42-yard pick six put on you. And the game's out of reach. And, and it's over. The pick six with three minutes left, it, it was a wrap. I, I don't under Southern, Southern must have, I don't know, because because everyone joked that the SWAC was going to call a bunch of penalties on, on Grambling or, or whatever, you know, to make to, to help Southern win. Everyone called in and was joking. I I don't know. He, Hugh Jackson's going to have to answer it because if it was the OC's call, he don't need a job next year. If it was Hugh's call, he – you're going to have to tell me why because everyone in the chat knows if you're doing something really well in a football game, continue to do it until they stop it. And they literally didn't stop it all game long. And they consistently took the ball out of the running backs hands consistently. It just, I, I don't know. 
I, I, I don't know what to tell y'all. Maybe, maybe a Grambling fan can call in and defend them. Maybe a Southern fan can call and tell me how much they offered Hugh Jackson to stop running the football. But I don't know. That's a good point. I've said this on the show. Maybe he's just not a good coach. And everyone's telling me I'm being too hard on him and or it's, it's too early or, or whatever you want to say. Eventually, there's going to have to be some some accountability on 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 the half of some horrible coaching decisions that call that cost Grambling games. Because I get what's happening. Everyone's giving him the excuse of, "Oh, it's his first year. Oh, he give him some time or or do this." Okay, that's fine. But it doesn't. I don't think that excuses you from making the proper call. His G or C for coach should have been removed. I'm, I'm telling you. I, don't, I, But listen, Southern gets the rematch with Jackson State. That's what everyone's been wanting. There were a lot of Southern fans calling into my show and the roundtable last week um, saying that Jackson State was scared of Southern. I guess we're going to find out. I would expect Jackson probably is probably going to be like a 14, 15-point favorite this weekend in that matchup. We're going to see. We'll see if Southern has anything different. But they're going to start Bashan McCray. And they have a bunch of injuries at running back. So let that be what it may with Southern. And uh, yeah, I'm just going to leave it at that. That's what's happened. But real quick, man, before I take, before I open up the call lines and take comments, I was, I was talking, I, I was putting together the all American all conference team and everything. And I was looking at SWAC defensive player of the year. And I keep hearing Ronnie Thomas and, and Aubrey Miller are we going to start having a are we going to start having a conversation about Colton Adams really being a, a candidate for SWAC defensive player of the year? I really really and truly. I mean Colton Adams right now 128 total tackles, 13 and a half for loss, two sacks, nine quarterback hurries. He leads the swag in tackles, has has I think he's second or third in tackles for loss in terms of linebackers, has the most QB hurries of any of any true inside linebacker in in the conference. I when are we gonna start having that conversation? Because I was kind of looking at him and Aubrey's stats. He has almost 30 more tackles than Aubrey. He's got five and a half more tackles for loss. He's got more sacks, more more quarterback hurries. The only thing Aubrey leads statistically over over Colton is that he had he has I think three more pass breakups in Colton. So I'm just like I'm just wondering who should take home Swag Defensive Player of the Year? Is it um is it Colton Adams? Is it Aubrey Miller? Is it it um I'm, I'm Ronnie Thomas from Mississippi Valley at the defensive end spot? It's a big question. I think the defensive player of the year is more in question than a lot of people are are, are giving it. Because um, I, I really do think Bubba, if you're really giving it credence to what a player did this year, because Bubba also had nine games with 10 or more tackles and like four games with 15 plus tackles. I mean, for a Mike linebacker, that is insane. That is insane. Max said the line for the SWAC championship game is minus 17 and a half for JSU. Jesus Christ. Mm. 
I'm going to have a whole preview on it, but if I had to put money right now on it, Mac, I would say, I would say I'll take the points. I would say I would take the points. Give me JSU minus 17 and a half as of right now. We'll see. I'm going to go do a bunch of film study and get my preview together for later this week. But as of, uh, as of Sunday, November 27th, give me JSU minus 17 and a half. I'll take it. I I will take it. Um, See, I saw Ron Thomas declare for the drafts. I thought he had to, uh, Mr. Kincaid. If I'm not mistaken, I thought he was a senior. Hang on. Let me just, let me make sure. Um, uh, Yeah, he's a senior on Valley's website. So I think he had to, I think he had to declare. Um, He might just have made the post to let people know he was going to the draft. But I, I think, yeah, he, I think he's a, He's a senior already, so I don't, I don't think that's a surprise. We'll see what he um, what he does, but he's a little bit undersized for DN. He's probably going to have to make that either kind of do what James Houston did, which is kind of put on some size and, and work himself into some multiple other positions. But man, the kid's talented. You got to give him that. He's just a bit undersized as of right now, Mister Kincaid. Uh, correction: JSU is going to whoop them. <laughs> Is the one read QB that got him to the SWAT championship game. He said, that's easy money. Scared of Southern only if they plan. Oh, my Lord. He said, don't kick the flowers ever. Definitely agree. Okay, he has a COVID year left. Um, he had a huge year. Go ahead and declare while your stock's hot. I don't I don't blame him. But, man, let me go back here. Let me get the call-in number. Call-in number is 701-779-9585. And we're going to take calls here for, for a few minutes and also talk talk. You know, whatever y'all want about in the chat. 7485, you're live. What's up, Blue? This is Margo from Jackson. How you doing? What's good, my man? Uh, not much, man. I actually hope you got a little time for me because you already know I go against the grain. I never talk about what you actually talk about on the show. So, starting off, I want to ask you, okay, your thoughts on Ohio State and Michigan. They proved me wrong. I I never would have thought they would be able to pull it out without Coral. But, man, Donovan Edwards is that dude. And as soon as you counted out J.J. McCarthy, he consistently made plays pushing the football down the field. And I thought Michigan, um, they, they played a hell of a game. You got to give them a lot of credit for stepping up with, with some injuries and, in, and on the road in Columbus, which is a really, really tough place to win. Give them their credit, man. They played a hell of a game, but it really surprised me of how they won the game. Okay, then. Just like I say, just bear with me, Blue. I got a couple more. Okay, so South Carolina and Clemson. Um, not as surprising. I feel like Clemson's kind of been on a downturn, while South Carolina might be one of the hottest teams in the country. You got to give Beamer his credit. He's been rolling, and Spencer Rattler's been finally been playing like the five-star he was billed to be coming into college. South Carolina's building something special. We'll see if we'll see if he can keep it rolling next year. But for Clemson, mm, that's a that's a bad loss for Dabo, and I think he's going to have to answer a lot of questions this offseason in terms of quarterback play, 
recruiting transfer portal because everyone excuses a lot of the shortcomings for a person when you're winning national championships. When you're losing to South Carolina, those shortcomings come to the forefront. So he's going to have to answer a lot of questions this offseason. Okay. Uh, Text A&M and LSU. Typical Brian Kelly. I was going to put it like that. Um, my old co-host Brandon <laughs> texted me, and he was like, dude, we're going to lose this game. He was like, well, we are already booked for Atlanta. We have no motivation. He was like, get ready. And he was right. They played like shit. Indeed. And Notre Dame and USC. All I got to say is one statement. Hashtag Kayla Williams for Heisman. Indeed. And so with all of that going on, do you think it's possible that Alabama get in? Yeah, I've said that for, what, two weeks? Two weeks mm-hmm. I've said that because all they all they needed were a few things to happen, and they're happening. Clemson gets a second loss. Um, Tennessee falls off the face of the earth. It's just consistently mm-hmm. things are happening. Also, let Michigan go and overlook Purdue and catch a law, catch a L in that one. LSU lost out of there. What if they upset Georgia? I hate it. I'm talking about Bama makes me want to throw up sometimes, but they got a shot, and yeah. it absolutely drives me insane that they do. Okay, this last thing I got, man. Um, of course, like I say, it's a my from Jackson. Um, I normally don't talk about Jackson State too much because, for the most part, it's a given on what we're going to do. But – I do have some concern. Well, let me say this before I say that. Uh, for all of the ones that's looking at the Colorado offer, um, just think about that it kind of puts you – well, I ain't going to say kind of. It actually does put you in the mind of, like, high school recruits, things of that nature. People, relax. Uh, just like Dion is getting offers, things of that nature. High school recruits get offers all the time. That don't mean they're going to take them. It's just an offer. Relax. Um, and so I want to end it off with, okay, so uh, being a former athlete myself, I didn't play football, but I played basketball, and I knew how tough it was, especially down the stretch, to beat a team twice. That's the only thing that kind of worries me about Southern. Uh, now, like you say, it all comes down to matches, ETC. But even still, you're still trying to beat the same team twice and so in the same, within the same season. And so if you don't mind, I would like for you to uh, give your analysis on it uh, with whichever results you think it may come down to. Ben. And um, I thank you for taking my call. Hey, appreciate you calling in, man. Uh, listen, I'm going to do a full breakdown and preview this week. So I'll have a SWAC championship slash FCS playoffs uh, round two on Wednesday night. So uh, I'll save it to that. But I mean, for, for me, I've kind of, I think everyone in the chat can probably tell you who I'm probably picking in this one. I've been extremely vocal that I didn't think PV or Southern messed up extremely well with Jackson State. In in the SWAC championship, I I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything that from Southern this weekend that 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 made me change my mind. Like if Southern would have went out there and 
showed me something a little bit different in terms of be, you know being dominant over Grambling or whatever. I mean, they they didn't look super hot, and I just I, going to Jackson. I know it's hard to beat teams twice, but I. I, someone's going to have to call in or comment and convince me of why Southern has a better chance other than it's a rematch. Because right now, the only thing I've heard so far is it's a rematch, which is why Southern has a chance. But other than that, I haven't heard anyone give me any tangible evidence that Southern has changed since that first matchup other than their starting running back being hurt in Gerard Sims. And that's it just dealing with injuries. That's the only change. And that doesn't bode well for Southern, in my opinion. That's, that's just, that's how I see it right now. Just glad to see, I just hate it. Uh, glad to see LSU just hate it. was Texas A&M. Well, I want to, I want all the schools that got JSU recruits to go down. <laughs> I was at the James Madison coastal Carolina games. My dad is a alum at coastal. James Madison was a truth. I wanted to go to firm and that's the last minute thing. Hey, I don't blame you, man. That, that was a good game too. That was a hell of a game too. He said, there's no evidence other than delusions. <laughs> oh, God. Um, one to ten chance you give Southeastern to beat Sanford? Mm. Oh. Uh, a four right now, Devontae. That's probably where I would put it. Somewhere around a four. Uh, I think the... When you look at it, that they gave up a lot of yards to Lindsey Scott, but Michael Hires has been rolling, and I think they they have they have a dangerous dangerous wide receiving core with 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 Chandler and Kendall Kendall Watson and Chandler Smith is really really going to test the secondary. If, if Southeastern wins, you're going to need big games out of Zai Alexander, uh, Zai Alexander, Donnell Ward McGee in that secondary, and then also you're going to have to establish the rushing attack because that's what's led Southeastern to this point. If if it gets into a, a matchup of can Cephas Johnson or whoever throw the football like Michael Hires, it's going to get out of hand. And the one concern I have for Southeastern is you cannot go down to this team because, you know, you trailed Idaho – in the first half, 21 to 10. If it gets 14 nothing, 21 10 to Sanford, things are going to get extremely interesting because Sanford is so effective and efficient on the offensive side of the football. So I would say that, that those would be the keys for Southeastern right now. But I'd say somewhere around a four, maybe five in terms of an upset potential this weekend over Sanford. It's going to be a really, really tough game. And if Southeastern wins this one, Man, you, you can you can make a run as far as you want to go because I mean that's, that's that's one of the top teams right now in FCS football in terms of high level football, especially offensively right now in the country because Sanford can score with the best of them. They have been all year. Michael Hires has been a dominant dominant quarterback this season. Uh, let's see, Jackson State players are going to punish Southern for all that all that talk about their coach. So I want Bama. Man, Sonic Boom, I thought we were cool, man. Why would you want that? Why would you want that for me? Good Lord. Will there be another video this week? I'm assuming not. I, I don't think so. I'm, in, I'm extremely interested to see what the vibe of the press conference is going to be tomorrow. Um, tomorrow, <clears throat> I think it's 11, 11 o'clock-ish. We're going to have the coaches call with Dooley and Coach Prime tomorrow. So I'll be on that. 
Um, I'm also going to try to jump into the CAA coaches call and some of the other conferences just to get some of the press conferences for coaches that are in the playoffs. So stay tuned for that as well. And those might be put up on the website for those. I might make an article out of them. Look at Blue's logo. He's got that Bashan blue. <laughs> I, I don't okay I, I I might my opinion probably don't matter to to southern fans that much I mean you got to me you got to stick with the baby blue the baby blue looks so much better than that like navy blue and then you then you surround it with that baby blue on the outside there's just too many shades of blue on that uniform combo stick with the uh, the baby blue and the yellow like that that's where you got to keep it that's just where you got to keep it you don't have to you don't have to do so much with the blues. Just just give me one blue and, and I'm good with it. But the, the navy blue just doesn't go with it. I, I'm not I'm not with the I'm not with the navy blue look of southern right now. Southeastern's D line's been better than expected. They don't have that one superstar that can that I think can take over a game in terms of a pass rushing aspect, but they've been really solid against the run. And when they need to make a play, they can. It's just I wish they had that one game-changing pass rusher on that defensive line, especially a defensive end. But I think overall, in terms of a run-stopping and disciplined defensive line, I think Southeastern Southeastern gives you everything you want in that aspect. I'll give you that same Jackson line for UIW versus Furman Blue. Oh, so you you like UIW, what was that, 17 and a half over Furman? I don't know about that one, Michael. I would have to take Furman with the points on that one. I mean, 17 and a half for Furman? Oh, I don't know. Okay. No, I, I would take Furman plus 17 and a half on that one. I don't I don't like that same spread for UIW Furman. I mean, if if UIW goes out there and beats Furman by set by more than 17 and a half. That's going to be the most impressive win of the weekend, in my opinion. That'd be a hell of a win for them. That that would be crazy. Uh, let's see. Does Coach Prime accept one of these job offers? I don't know. Um, I, I personally, I, I can't tell you, man. Uh, I, all I know is, and it's funny because I reported it like two days before anyone else did, and I, I got some pushback. Man, the offer from Colorado is real. I told y'all how much it was. I, I told you guys that the ball was in Prime's court. I told you guys when they want an answer and when Prime wanted to make an answer. And everything else is in his court. I can't I can't speak for him. I'm interested to see if someone asks him about it in the coach's call tomorrow. And that's all I can give you. I, I don't I, I can't speak for another man and what he is, what he what he is, what he's gonna do, but it, it's going it the offer is there. He knows what it is. They've been in contact, and if and if he feels like it's the best thing for him and his family, then he'll take it. If if he wants to stay at Jackson State for a little bit longer, he will. I I can't predict if he's going to take the Colorado offer. I, I will say this: if he doesn't accept the Colorado offer, I would imagine that he's going to be at Jackson State next season. I'll just say that if he's going to leave for an offer, it's going to be the Colorado one, unless there's a job that I don't foresee coming open that gets open. But I I, I can't see personally that um. I, I can't see if he turns this one down that he'll take a he'll take a job anywhere else. That's that, that's how I that's how I will see it. Uh, let's see. I'll make my score prediction on the on the show uh, later this week, man. Southern's QB has PTSD for Miller. Navy blue is not even Southern's colors. I don't know what possessed them to experiment with the blue spectrum. 
<laughs> I don't see South Dakota State winning at all. Their offense isn't that great to me. I know their defense is good, but I don't see them stopping MSU's offense. No one can. That's not a bad take. Ask Dooley why he chose Bashan over Lindsey Scott. <laughs> Man, I, if, if there's time, I'm sure I, – I don't know how many questions we're going to be able to be allotted due to um, everything – that, you know how many how much media is going to be there, but we'll see. Uh, Blue and Blue City podcast, yeah. Uh, if you want more FBS talk, me and Kobe do a show on Friday Friday nights about FBS. Man, we we I don't, we had uh we had Coach Reed from Two Four Seven Sports on this week. Man, it was a hell of a um it was a hell of a show. Uh, let's see. Do you think all the talk about Colorado and Prime will have an effect on JSU and the SWAT championship or the bowl game? Potentially, um, I don't know. I I want to see them this weekend. We'll see. I, I think the Southern game they can be a little bit distracted and maybe p- pull out a win. But I I think I'll know more after this weekend. I'm not sure if um, they'll. It, it depends on what he's telling them behind the scenes. The only thing I will say about the Colorado thing, why you know it kind of validated the idea that it was legit, is that if you remember right when the Nebraska rumor came out, there was a video that was put out. What was it by Deion Sanders Jr. And um, it, it was Deion Sanders Jr. Or one of those other channels. And he like dismissed it immediately. And I'm really surprised we haven't seen a video like that this week. Um, if, if it wasn't legit. So I, I don't know what he's telling his players. It would depend on the transparency behind the scenes. I see an FCS championship rematch from last year. Yeah, it'd be it's going to be interesting if NDSU can make it there, man. They have a lot of they have a lot of injuries and a lot of players that have transferred out. Julie's going to have Bashan sitting next to him, interviewing a in a baby blue Gucci shirt that says, <laughs> "Oh, Wayne, Wayne, you're going to get you're going to get this channel shut down." Jesus Christ, holy holy shit. And a question for you. I watched Cameron Ward during the UW versus W um, SU game. Do you think Shador could have that same, same type of – yeah, I, I do, especially depending on who the OC is, Mr. Campbell, because you got to think about Cameron Ward too. This is what people um, – it's what people forget about Cameron Ward. The reason he's – I think a lot of the reason – he's super talented. Let me throw that out there. But a big reason why he's been able to have immediate success at Washington State is because Cameron Ward's head coach – is the OC at Washington State, so he's in that same offense. So as long as Prom brought along a, an offensive staff that is familiar with Shador and that is familiar and that he's familiar with as well and is comfortable with, he definitely could have that same type of impact because Cameron War is doing his thing over at Washington State. But I think the transition was made much easier due to the fact that he was surrounded by people that he was familiar with and comfortable with. And that's the biggest thing for a transfer is a lot of the guys that don't work out transfer to places that they're not comfortable and they don't fit the scheme as well. Reagan needs, needs to have another good game. Is Deion Sanders being forced to go to Colorado? I don't think, I don't think, I don't think anyone's forcing prime anywhere. I, I don't, I, I can't see, I can't see anyone forcing him to do anything. Um, uh, Prime can get a much better contract than that. Definitely agree. McCoy and Hat were pretty good, so I think Southeastern can get the run game going with Britt. We can get the win. It's possible, man. I, yeah, like if you guys get the run game going and it could kind of slow down that passing attack, get get some pressure on hires, it could be interesting. 
Uh, just name a possible serious bluff thinner. The reason he moved from New York to Texas, bitter, cold, shut him down. Pro himself ain't good for football in Colorado. Online it says Southern's colors are gold and Columbia blue. <laughs> oh, let's see. MSU average 325 rushing. And we just got healthy and got his Afonsi back. Coach Prom took the job at JSU because it was the best option for forced Shador to get to the NFL. He has, he has complete autonomy over his football program outside of the picking the games that were already set in. Oh, yeah, set in stone. Um, why? Nobody says Shador's as good as Cameron Ward. T, I don't think anyone said that. We Everyone knows Cameron Ward is that dude, but why the hell would he disrupt his son winning, breaking records, making history to go to Colorado? Uh, that's not a question for that's not a question for me. That's a question for Prom if he takes it, but we don't even know if he's going to take it. Um, and DSU averages two sixty one, and William Mary averages two seventy four. FAU's open as well. Colorado a better financial opportunity plus NIL and transfer portal allow him to get good soon, but it'll be a steep learning curve. Um, yeah, especially also with um. With the fact that Colorado, so right after the prom rumors came out, or the prom offer report came out, there was a there was a whole article released that Colorado was changing the transfer portal rules and trying to add more majors and more credits, being able to transfer over four transfers. And so a lot of people took that as them trying to kind of open the super highway for transfers for whoever they hired. And due to prom success in the transfer portal, that was kind of the the narrative that was run with, which it makes sense. I mean, if you're going to go hire a guy like Coach Prime, you're going to you're going to want to be able to allow as many transfers into the program as possible. So I don't blame them, but it's good for whoever Colorado hires that they're able to go get more talent out of the transfer portal. Uh, I agree. The Southern uniform was overrated this weekend. Uh, Delaware and William Mary to the semifinals. Okay. If I was Shador, I would tell the Colorado fans to buy my barbecue sauce if you want my dad to come. <laughs> they got plenty of running backs, Paris. I don't think I don't think you have to um I, I, I don't think you have to move him anywhere. I just I, I don't know where you put him, but I, I think you're deep enough at running back that you probably he probably ain't gonna see a lot of time at running back. And also being a scrambler. Like being a dual threat quarterback and being an efficient every down running back are like two different worlds. So I don't know. Just because, just because he's fast and athletic does not necessarily mean he can fit in terms of being an every down running back. So there'd be a big question on that. And Shallow won't be able to play if they leave. His son would go to Colorado with him, if possible. NCCU versus JSU a good matchup in. I think that's a great matchup. I'm excited for it. The one the one worry I do have, though, is the defensive scheme for Central. But they got three weeks to prepare for it. So maybe Central could switch out of that 3-3-5 and give them more of a 4-2-5 you know, type look, 3-4. Something that gets more people in the box. It's this whole 3-3-5 look, the three-down lineman, the only like three lineman. That's not going to work against Jack State because Savion Walkers is going to eat that a lot. You're going to have to bring a four-man front and get pressure. But it's going to be interesting to see how Davius Richard responds to the pressure that Jackson State's defense can put on quarterbacks. And that's going to be the biggest thing for me to, to see if they can pull that one out. But I think that's a great matchup for the Celebration Bowl. You know, as much as Jackson State fans wanted to get revenge on South Carolina State, I think Central's been by far the best team in the MEAC all season long. It's the best 
football matchup on paper that could have happened in the Celebration Bowl. So I personally like the matchup. Just that, That's just my opinion on it. Colorado has the second worst facilities in the Pac-12. Oh, um, if I had to, so Devontae, I said my favorite for the title. If I had, because it was last week, I said if I had to put money on a winner right now, I would say Montana State would be my favorite. And so in, in that case, Montana State would have to come out the one side of the bracket. Mm, I think the other side will probably. Oh, it's gonna be so tough to pick that other side because I because North Dakota State just has so many injuries, man. That they just get a bad matchup. I wouldn't be surprised though if 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 UIW can get past Furman and get past that physicality, man. It, that Sac State UIW winner has a really really good shot to make a run, especially if North Dakota State gets knocked out early. But I'll just say this: my favorite right now still is Montana State, and we'll kind of see how they perform this weekend. I'm trying to be funny. But all the four or five stars that went to Texas A&M got their money, and they still went to the transfer portal. They've been clearing house. That is that is true. I bet Shiloh and and want to stay at JSU. How bad does Gardner Webb get beat? Gaither is literally playing hero ball carrying their offense. That's the that's the million dollar question, because if they can't run the football. If Nari Gaither can't get going, it's a wrap. And William and Mary has a dominant front seven, way better than what they saw this weekend with Eastern Kentucky. If Gardner Webb can't run the football, put a number on it. As many as William and Mary wants to score, especially if Gardner Webb can't stop their rushing attack. But I, th- I think Gardner Webb can do some things. I, I would. I don't think it's going to be ugly like Richmond uh, Davidson ugly or Delaware St. Francis, but I, I-, I could see a double digit win going off for William and Mary this weekend. Uh, let's see. Big schools be able to hold talent now. Uh, these kids will leave. I saw Colorado facility videos. Seemed nice to me, but of course, everything seems nice for my swipe instead. <laughs> uh, he said William and Mary in Delaware lost to Elon. No chance. I said NCC was going from the beginning. Uh, let's see. Possibly. So. I, I saw a question earlier. I meant to address it. So I don't know where I'll be this weekend. I'll probably figure it out tomorrow or Tuesday. So my three options, I'll either be at the SWAC championship in Jackson at the Sanford Southeastern Louisiana game. You know, I, I don't like going to games back to back for teams, but um, I, I'll explain it to y'all. Cause I, I was talking to some people off the record about this this weekend with me not being able to produce highlight videos or, you know, release them on YouTube. That's a that's a large chunk of how I make money off this platform that funds my travel to all these places. So me traveling to like faraway places like Holy Cross or Montana State or Weber State or, or wherever North Dakota State, it's a little it's a little bit iffy because I'm not making a lot of money back off that trip because all I can produce is pictures and and things like that. So. Sanford's closest in Birmingham, and I live in Mobile. That'll be an option. And then also, I'm looking at potentially the UIW Furman game over in San Antonio because that's not a super far trip either. Those would probably be the three options where I'll be this weekend. But I'll let y'all know probably either tomorrow or early Tuesday where I'll be. Shador also didn't have the UIW O-line and uh, OC last season. That is fair. I, I, I definitely agree with that. Oh, let's see. 
William and Mary was up 18 at half in that game. A lot of man, they they were up that game and they've really really collapsed down the stretch. They really really did. Um, ain't it crazy that NCCU was supposed to finish last in the MIAC last season? They beat Alcorn State in 2022. They're going to the Celebration Bowl. You gotta you gotta give you gotta give Trey Oliver all the credit. He has taken a team because they were picked to finish last, Allen, because they were so young. And all that talent has been developing, man. They haven't had a lot of transfers out. And they they also haven't lost. They've added some good pieces in the transfer portal. So I think – I think you got to give Trey Oliver a lot of credit. He was confident. Alan, go look at my interview with him at the MEAC Media Day. He was like, he he knew how good they were going to be. Remember, he called out HBCU game day for picking on second. I mean, he he knew they were going to be good. And then David uh, Davis Richard taking that step forward, the defense improving a little bit, and it was all they needed to make a run this year. And so you got to you got to give Trey Oliver credit for going to win the conference. He says Sac State, the Tribal crushed them. Shelly, I've talked to some JSU players and they laughed at Coach to see you can't say who. That is fair. Yeah, so uh, spotlight. So let's just say, fam, you went to the playoffs. Myself, Cut Day, HBCU Spotlight, anybody. Like, um, we were on the sideline. I was in the end zone. Idaho was driving. The incident of sent a person from the press box because either someone radioed up to him or someone saw him he was taking video of the game and they came down and like told the dude not to be not not to take any videos because ESPN's exclusive deal with the uh FCS playoffs like there's a contract spotlight that you can look up on the type in like NCAA playoff or FCS playoffs credentials there's like a whole agreement that like third party or independent media cannot do any highlights it's NCAA and ESPN own exclusive rights to that content so it doesn't matter if you film it on your phone like if you film it on your phone and post it on social media or YouTube, and you can be you can be a major major trouble. All the highlights have to be produced from ESPN or the respective schools. That that is it, and that they do not play with it. So that's why I didn't have a highlight video from this weekend. Let's see. Um, yeah, instead of like owns that content, that's why exactly. So I can produce all the content I want from games in the regular season, the SWAC championship, all that, but cannot do it. Um, cannot do it from the playoffs. Well, you said that you were jinxed. Do not go to Jackson, please. All of I, I'm not jinxed. Listen, I'm not, I'm not jinxed. There's only the rain games have have ended for me, and also I'm actually pretty good. Look, I've I've been to. I'm trying to think all the Jackson games I went to. I went to the Tennessee State Jackson State game this year, went to the Alabama State Jackson State game this year, and then I went to uh, the all the Soul Bowl, Alcorn State Jackson State. All three great games. So I don't think I'm I don't think I'm jeeks for Jackson, man. Y'all have won all the games I've been to, and I was at Alabama A&M Jackson last year, and I, I don't think y'all even came close to losing that game. <laughs> so he's a dull come to Jackson. We beat UIW in the regular season. Yeah, I was at that game, man. I was at the game. I wish I could see a rematch of it, but I, I don't. You guys, I don't. I don't think y'all are going to match up in the semis this year. I mean, damn! Every other week, he's he's tied to a team. I'd be tired of dispelling all the rumors. That's fair. Hey, but he was the one, Kevin, that was confident. He was right. <laughs> he was he was completely right on it. 
So when I hit the lot of them, I get you a huge mobile studio and a gas car, brother. Appreciate you, Wayne. <laughs> he said there was a non-HBC better than them, and he was right. He was definitely right. You're watching the Blue Bloods SCS show. Definitely hit the like button. Also, subscribe, man. Appreciate y'all for sure. Cameron Ward didn't have his father from high school in an NFL pro tutor him of the offseason. Gian Sanders Jr. does all the time. Yeah, he does the regular season games. And if I'm not mistaken, Spotlight, I think the celebration bowl is the same way, if I'm not mistaken. So I don't think, I don't think, unless Deion Sanders Jr., because you can apply for it and pay for it, Spotlight. And his dad's Deion Sanders, and I don't know how much money, I'm not counting his pockets. He can probably pay to like buy into the rights to post whatever highlights he has. But listen. Your boy does not have that type of money. I'm not. I'm not a Sanders or backed by any anybody with a whole bunch with, with a whole bunch of money. So I don't know it. I don't know how much it would cost or what. You would have to go through Veritone One or something like that. I was reading into, and you have to like like apply and probably buy in buy into some like secondary rights to be able to post highlights, and it, it probably won't be financially reasonable for that. The rain just ended before a game. Yeah, it, it it rained all day in Louisiana till about three o'clock, and then it stopped right before the game. It's supposed to rain. In, it, man, it's supposed to rain again in Jackson this weekend. So we're gonna have two rain games for uh, Soul Bowls. I was watching Simo versus Montana. Their crowd was loud, and also why was a nine and two? Uh, wait, hang on. Okay, yeah, so. Simo traveled to Montana because Montana outbid them for a home game. It doesn't matter the record in the first round. You have to bid for a home game if you get outbid. That just it just is what it is. And also, a, you can bid more than the other team. But if if even if the bids are close, what they'll do is they'll judge based on the um, the quality of the facilities and the stadium and things like that. So if you if you bid a lot and have a and have a quote unquote shitty facility or a shitty stadium, they're not going to let you host a game in the first round. Um, so that's uh, that's the only way to put it. He said, "Hi, bid. It's rain in the forecast for Saturday morning." He said, "Davidson didn't deserve a spot. <laughs> it's like twenty percent chance, thirty eight percent chance of rain is spotty." Oh, that's not that's not bad. Uh, and it it didn't matter last time. It rained last game, and it was it was a whole it was a whole rain delay, and Jackson still won thirty five to nothing. So I don't think it matters if it rains or not. I really want Trey Oliver to win the first Celebration Bowl. He deserves it. I like him as a coach. I'm a big Trey Oliver fan, and Central has has a hell of a coach. And I just hope they keep him around for a long time. Montana always bids higher than any other SCS team. Yeah, they got money. They're they're it's Montana. Like they're they're going to make sure they host a playoff game. Now it is going to be interesting to see how they do because they're going to be on the roll road the entire playoffs now. They got one they got one um they got one home game and now they're traveling. It whether it's Fargo, Sanford, whoever, like they're they're on the road the rest of the way. And it's going to be interesting to see um extremely interested to see what they do it's not going to rain 30 percent chance of rain he's she said no nah, i want jsu to win <laughs> i love it well listen guys man, i've been on here for an hour and a half i'm about to hop off here man it's 10 o'clock um 11 p.m for some of you guys on the on the west coast but uh or the or the east coast my bad but listen Website, we'll have uh, round two previews coming out. SWAC Championship preview coming out on the channel and the website. The live stream will be Wednesday night. 
roundtable on Thursday with my dude Scotty. Also, I will have an interview with um, I will have an interview with Nelson Jordan, Alabama State defensive lineman, probably dropping on Thursday ish. Also, the coach's corner will be back this week um, as well uh, with my guy Coach Fred and uh, Friday. FBS Fridays with my guy Kobe over on the Blitz City um, podcast. But, man, other than that, y'all can catch me right here. Uh, I'll be posting press conferences tomorrow from the SWAC Championship press conference, probably some other playoff press conferences. You could check out uh, more FCS playoff recaps on the website, thebluebuzzpod.com, and pictures from this weekend. Southeastern Louisiana, Idaho will be posted tomorrow and or early early tuesday morning man but listen like the screen like the stream hit the subscribe button comment man anything you want me to address on the next live stream but until then guys the blue bloods are out (laughs) 